This is episode 163 of the IDRA Class Notes podcast. One of the things that teachers have always talked about is this this moving group of English learners is different than groups of, say, other students. If you look at a subgroup, let's say by ethnicity, that subgroup doesn't really change over time, but English learners change over time because they become proficient and they exit the program. So you never have a group of totally proficient or successful students because by definition, they're English learners. Good afternoon and welcome to IDRA's Class Notes podcast. My name is David Hinojosa. I'm the director of the South Central Collaborative for Equity. I'm with Dr. Kristen Grayson today, who is an IDRA associate with the Equity Center. Welcome, Dr. Grayson. Hello. Hello, listeners. I'm glad to be here. So we're here to talk today about the Every Student Succeeds Act and English Learners. The Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA, as people are referring to it, is the latest version of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act that replaced the 2001 No Child Left Behind Act. Uh, This act came about to some as a surprise where in 2015 and years before that, Congress had debated the merits of No Child Left Behind. There were several calls for action from parents, educators, school leaders, and even politicians themselves, yet no action was being taken. Just last summer, we had two very different bills in the House and in the Senate, and nobody thought there was going to be much agreement reached. Then lo and behold, November, there's whispers of a potential agreement among the parties. They were negotiating with the White House. And lo and behold, in December of 2015, President Obama signed the Every Student Succeeds Act into law. So I'd like to begin, Dr. Grayson, with you describing some of the changes from ESSA that will impact English learners. Well, first of all, one of the big changes is the language. And you've referred to students as English learners, and the official language has now changed to ELS for L's as opposed to limited English proficient, so that everyone can change the perspective from being deficit to being asset-oriented towards English learners. They're in a process of learning English. The big change is that Title III has now been put together with Title I. However, it's important to note that Title III regulations in terms of programmatic and instructional actions for English learners have not disappeared and are not going to be dissolved away in Title I. And in fact, those are being accentuated by OCR and the Department of Justice by reiterating their Dear Colleague letter from January of 2015 and the fact sheets that go with it that explain what programs have to be in place for English learners. One of the big changes then which happens when these two programs are combined is that the accountability for Title III numbers moves to accountability under Title I. And I'll go ahead and mention some of those particular accountability changes. 
which are the following. First of all, states will have to decide what the entry and exit criteria are for their state in terms of who are English learners and when do they stop being English learners. So that's important. And then in keeping track of English learners, instead of monitoring students that have exited from programs such as bilingual or ESL programs or dual language programs, instead of monitoring students else for two years, districts will be required to monitor those students for four years. Long-term English learners or students that have been classified as English learners will now also be a subgroup that is accounted for under Title III, Title I, and English learners who are also classified as special education will have to be accounted for. So these are some good things, possibly, that will be coming out from these new accountability measures. Sure, and with the new entry and exit procedures that are established under the federal law that states must abide by, there are certain guardrails that have been added also so that states will have to identify their English learners within 30 days of entering a school, as I understand it. And that's very important because there were some states and school districts that were all over the place. And, you know, some might have, you know, 45-day entry requirements as well. Is that right? That's right. And then there's also a short time frame in which they have to communicate with parents that the student is in a given program. One of the nice things about Title I and Title III combining is that parent communication is strengthened by doing this because there are certain regulations within Title I about parent communication, and certainly parent communication is very important for English learners and and their parents. And with some of these combining of Title III into Title I for accountability purposes, there's also some potential drawbacks that we've seen in the law. So, for instance, combining the performance of former ELL students with current ELL students may end up masking the performance of English learner students who are currently in the program. So, for instance, uh, typically former ELLs score much higher on standardized exams than current ELLs. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when you combine the former EL student performance with the current EL students, you could potentially have a masking of the performance of current ELs. And if you're masking their performance, they might not receive the assistance that they need. For instance, IDRA had done an analysis and presented this uh, to Congress showing that in Texas, for example, in some grade levels, when you combine the performance of former EL students just for those students who had exited for two years with current EL students, the performance for that group had jumped by over 10 percentage points, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, again, you know, may end up meaning that the current EL students don't receive the support they need. Right. And so hopefully those remain disaggregated subgroups so that teachers and administrators can be aware of students, let's say former English learners, that are now only in mainstream classrooms, and if they're struggling or falling through cracks, then they can be 
given the supports again that they have needed to be successful. So that that's really is the hope. The other thing about changing how you look at numbers from the field, Mr. Anahosa, one of the things that teachers have always talked about is this this moving group of English learners is different than groups of say other students. If you look at a subgroup, let's say by ethnicity, that subgroup doesn't really change over time, but English learners change over time because they become proficient and they exit the program. So you never have a group of totally proficient or successful students because by definition, they're English learners. Yeah, certainly. And and I'm sure that Congress had that on its radar and was trying to balance those interests. What uh, listeners should know about is that these are the inclusion of former L's for up to four years of exiting are still up to the state's to decide whether or not they will include their performance with the English learner performance. So let's kind of switch topics here, and maybe you can put your Equity Assistance Center hat on and tell our listeners about the impact that these new regulations under the Every Student Succeeds Act may have on your work in the field, you know, with schools and school districts through the Equity Assistance Center? Well, certainly, as I work in the different states, as I have in the past, I will continue to be aware of different state policies and guidelines. And for students, it will actually be helpful because sometimes English learners are a mobile group and they move from one district to another. So, say, for instance, the entry and exit guidelines are the same and or the goals and measures which states have to set for uh, reporting progress as opposed to the previous AMAOs. So some consistency in states rather than inconsistency between districts will certainly be helpful as I do work in in different states. And there could potentially be an increase in your workload as well, you know, with the data being disaggregated for special education English learner students or long-term English learner students as well. So what what are some of the challenges that you might see in trying to meet the needs of those students with your work? Well, certainly as we see the numbers of long-term English learners, and I would predict those numbers to be relatively high, then we have to look at the research and we have to look at ways to implement best practices to intervene and help those students be successful. So that's going to be a very interesting subgroup to provide assistance for because now we're going to have real numbers. And then the numbers of English learners identified as special education, while teachers and administrators have always had a sense that it might be disproportionate, now we're really know and now we'll really be able to look at, is it a language issue? and look at research, and maybe research will give us more answers to looking at those kind of issues. Excellent. And for our listeners out there, the Department of Education does have some great information available on its website. It has frequently asked questions. It also allows you to ask a question as a parent, an educator, or a school leader, or just an interested member of the public, where you can pose your questions as the department tries to figure out exactly what 
is intended by Congress through the Every Student Succeeds Act. And what are some other resources that are available for parents, educators, and school leaders on the learning side, on the instruction side, that will help ensure that English learners' rights to equality education are uh, respected? Well, first I would refer listeners to look up the Dear Colleague letter from January 2015, and you can just put that in to your browser website and it will come up. The Dear Colleague letter from whom to whom? Uh, The Dear Colleague letter from, it's a joint letter from the Department of Justice and Department of Education, and it makes reference to what kind of programs and what kind of rights are needed to ensure protection and education for English learners. There's also two fact sheets along with that that will appear on that same website. These two fact sheets appear, can be downloaded in many languages. One is titled, Ensuring English Learner Students Can Participate Meaningfully and Equally in Educational Programs. And the other one is information for limited English proficient parents and guardians and for schools and school districts that communicate with them. And so certainly these communications in various languages can be informational for our districts. One other great resource is the ELL toolkit that can also be accessed on the Department of Education website. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Grayson, and our listeners, thank you for joining us today for the IDRA class notes. We will link to many of these documents through our show notes for this podcast online. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA class notes. For more information on IDRA and other class notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.